Okay, our first reading tonight is from the book of Isaiah. Um, it's Isaiah 45, 18 to 25. For this is what the Lord says. He who created, created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be, present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear, they will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult. And the second reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27, and it's found on page 743. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what, he, what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned four si uh, sorry, five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. The master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. 
But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Thanks, Jane. Uh, let me add my welcome. If we've not had the chance to meet before, if you're new, uh, my name's Mark. I do hope that uh, you're able to stay around uh, and enjoy. There's still an abundance of supper. It hasn't all been cleared, so um, uh, do make the most of that. Uh, if you are uh, new or haven't been for a little while, we're looking at our third week on a series on work. Uh, in many ways, so much more could be said. We're just kind of scratching the surface. Really, it's about starting a conversation. Uh, hopefully, you guys will have a great conversation with one another uh, about work in mind of what God has done and who God is and what he would like to do through you. Uh, and so we're continuing, rather than being kind of grounded in one of those two passages uh, or any particular passage, we're, get, we're going to look at concepts that are in the Bible rather than one particular spot and sitting there. So can I encourage you, uh, grab a pen. There are pens at the end of uh, your row there. And with it on the back of your newsletter, there is just kind of space abundantly for writing things down. Can I encourage you at least write down passages that either are on the screen or that I mention uh, that's your chance later on to check them out because I'm not going to give you the opportunity to do it as we go along. Uh, do do that. Check it out. Make sure it's what the Lord is saying uh, and not just what I'm saying. Uh, but how about we pray uh, that God might speak to us clearly this night. Our Lord and Father, we uh, thank you that you're a good and gracious God. Uh, we thank you that uh, you alone are the God and there is no other. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, that you have not said seek you in vain, but rather uh, you have made it possible to know you because you have spoken the truth about yourself. Uh, and Father, we ask that tonight we would understand you clearly, uh, we would understand uh, the work you would have us do clearly, and we would understand ourselves clearly. Uh, and by your Spirit, uh, change us to become more and more the image of you, uh, that you might find delight in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we look tonight at work, uh, particularly we're looking at work with a sense of timing. You know, work that, that fits into the era we live in. Uh, Adoniram Judson uh, was clear about the times. Uh, in his diary in 1810, he wrote this. Uh, it was during a solitary walk in the woods while meditating and praying upon the subject of, of becoming a missionary and feeling half inclined to give it up that the command of Christ, go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature, was presented to my mind with such clearness and power that I came to a full decision. And though great difficulties appeared in my way, I resolved to obey that command at all events. Now there was a man who understood the times he was in and the call upon him. Uh, when Judson uh, began his mission, he went off to Burma, uh, he set a goal of translating the Bible uh, into the local language and his hope was to found a church of 100 members before his death. That was his vision as he headed off. Uh, in the first 12 years of being there, he saw only 18 converts. Uh, 37 years later when he died, uh, he left a Bible, uh, he left 100 churches uh, and over 8,000 believers in Burma. Now, his family suffered. Uh, he even spent time in prison. And it was all because he was convinced of something about this day and age we're in, of the urgent need 
for people to hear of Christ. So yes, he was 200 years ago, but let's be clear, the times that Judson lived in are the times we still live in now. Now we still live in that age of urgency. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, In the time of my favour I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. That day is still now. The now that the Apostle Paul spoke of, it's still now. Now is the time for people to secure uh, their eternity, their eternal future by placing their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, now is the time uh, to do what you know, Isaiah, we read of Isaiah's call, uh, that people from all the ends of the earth should turn and come to the Lord and acknowledge only he is God and find that only in him is a saviour. You know, those are the times we live in. Uh, given that, given this age of urgency, given the priority, that, how should we work? How do we approach work given the times we live in? Uh, when Jesus witnessed to, to people who were, who were weighed down by false ways to connect with God, uh, he said this to his disciples in Matthew 9. He said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And now I suspect you know that passage. If you've been around a kind of a church scene for long enough, you've probably heard it many a time. Uh, that verse has been used by lots of people and lots of organisations. Uh, lots of them to all, you know, encourage Christians into career diversion. You know, just like for Adoniram Judson, the, the Great Commission did for him, uh, a lot of people have taken you know, Jesus' words in Matthew 9 and they, they've taken the urgent age and they've taken that, that need for harvesters to equal paid ministers, you know, people like me or, or, or paid missionaries. And our church culture is bought into this. So we regularly hear of encouragements from missionaries we support and, and you know, let me say that's good. It's good for us to hear of you know, the Brownings and, uh, and the Bennetts over in Africa. It's, it's good to hear of other missionaries we support in you know, South America and Nepal and the Northern Territory and Myanmar and, and, and that's all good. And you know, I, I read of Adoniram Judson and uh, I am inspired and, and I am challenged. But we need to stop and ask is that the impact the gospel must have on our work? You know, that we all need to kind of earn our living by speaking about Jesus. You know, does gospel urgency, does the age we live in mean that all other work has no value? Or to flip it around a little, uh, if you're here and, you know, tonight you're a Christian and you think, I'm just an ordinary Christian, I, I know Jesus, you might be asking the question, do I really have to get involved in letting others know about him? Or can't I just... Can't I just, you know, I give them my money. Can't I leave it to the professionals? Well, just raising some of these questions might have perhaps sparked more questions in your mind, uh, and I hope it has. Uh, tonight, I want our conversation to, to wrestle about work uh, and, first of all, to wrestle with the place of proclaiming Christ for Christians. Uh, and then after that, uh, get a little bit more personal and think about the place of your work in this urgent age. Before we do that, though, uh, let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, Not everyone's been here in the past few weeks. I suggested some weeks ago uh, a really catchy definition of work. (laughs) Yeah, those of you who heard it realise that's not true. I suggested that work is sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love. Sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love. That is, work is not defined by pay or prestige. You know, we, we work because God is a worker. 
Uh, and we work to imitate the way and the reasons God works. We work to try and work for the same purposes God works towards. So we can't work exactly like God. You know, he's bigger than us. Uh, we're finite. He's infinite. But we, we do our best to imitate him. You know, so God can, God can work from nothing. Uh, we work by sharing the good gifts that he's already given us. We don't create from nothing. You know? And so uh, our gifts are, you know, in part, yes, the, our personal attributes, that's part of what he's gifted us with. But, but as well, the, the wealth and the freedom we enjoy as Australians, that's, that's God's gifts too. Uh, all those things need to be incorporated into how we share to build communities of love. Now, that network of relationships God has put you in, that, those talents you possess, those, those opportunities allowed to you because of where you grew up and where you went to school and where you've travelled to, all those things, they're gifts of God, uh, just as much as you know, he's given you know, good bits in nature and sends the rain. Uh, and, and we need to share those to build communities of love. You know, that, that goal of building loving communities, that flows from who God is. You know, God in himself at his very heart, God, Father, Son and Spirit is fundamentally relational. You know, and in all his work, he's actually he's working to build loving relationship, to maintain the one he has, but to invite others in as well. He is on about creating a super fantastic community of love. You know, so that catchy catchphrase, work is sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love. And sometimes, isn't it great, you get paid for it. And some work makes it a little more obvious that's what you're doing than others. But the reality is we can't all go off and you know, work for the UN in refugee camps, which you know, kind of go, oh, that would be building communities of love. Wouldn't, it? wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Well, thankfully, that's not the only valid work. Uh, so I used to work as a meters services contractor, which is a fantastic title, and I had it on my card. Uh, and I could show it to anyone who needed it. In case you're not aware what a meter services contractor does, uh, it's a ridiculously big title for someone who uh, walked around the streets of the southwest of Sydney and read water meters uh, to calculate your bill. Um, so I, I did that day in, day out. Uh, how is that God-honouring work? Well, to use the language of my definition, I used God's gifts. You know, I used that ability to walk. I used my ability to punch in numbers into a computer. I used you know, legal authority to enter people's properties and look at their water meter. You know, and, and that sharing of God's gifts allowed water to flow in households. You know, and loving communities were built off the back of, you know, you know, it's hard to love in a place where you don't have flowing water. And, you know, I made a tiny, tiny contribution to that process. Now, now I'm not trying to glamorise my old job uh, or persuade you you all need to do it. Uh, just showing you how ordinary work can actually honour God. Okay. Now they're up to speed. Now we're on the same page. Where does work fit in this age of urgency? You know, where is the place, given the times that we're in and the needs that must happen, where is the place of, of proclaiming Christ for Christians? Let me say, the very nature of work means we must all prioritise evangelism. You need to switch your brains on here a little bit. Um, We work to imitate God and his purposes. If work is is building those loving communities, valid work has to contribute to loving people in all and every part of reality. 
That is, we, we, our work has to incorporate loving people according to creation. You know, the original creation, who they are, they are made in a certain way to be beings with emotional and physical needs and we've got to love them and work in such a way that cares for that. But our work also has to take into account that there is a reality about people that they are made eternally. You know, there is a reality of redemption that Jesus has won to bring about new creation where everyone is heading towards eternity. Yeah, and we have to love them in that way. We have to work in such a way that creates conditions for people to hear about Jesus so that they can be part of those eternal, loving relationships of heaven. Now, what's striking when you go through the New Testament and you just kind of look for the word work and when it pops up in the New Testament is primarily the language of work is about work connected to redemption into new creation. Now, not just the ordinary work that's connected to this creation. So Jesus arrives in some sense to do a new kind of work and he wants us to join him in that. So in John 6, verse 27 and following, um, in John 6, Jesus' work is, is this shift from the creation, just sustaining this creation, to, to this new work with a salvation edge, an eternal aspect. Uh, he says this in John 6, 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they, his disciples, asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign will you do that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And the work that he goes on to speak about, if you read the rest of John 6, is the fact that he, Jesus, is the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven. He is the one who satisfies and opens up the possibility for people to have life eternal, not just satisfaction for this creation. You know, when Matthew 9, when Jesus was speaking there, referred to Matthew 9 earlier, when he spoke of workers in the harvest field, he's not being accidental in his use of work. Yes, he's using figurative language, but he's speaking a spiritual truth. You know, it's a comment on the real world. When, when he uses these metaphors of, of food and work, it's informing our understanding of what life is really all about. So back in John 4, verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't say four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. And thus the saying, one sows and other reaps, is true. Uh, Jesus said, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Again, Jesus talks about work and the work that God is on about and the work he wants us to be involved in. That work, that food, is, is promoting the knowledge of God so that people are ready for eternity and equipped for his eternal kingdom. Yeah, and the rest of the New Testament does the same kind of thing. Uh, it uses the language of work mostly to speak about the eternal work of making Jesus known. Uh, so Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, picks a slightly different word to use. It has a kind of more toilsome nature uh, to the word that he uses for work. In other words, he implies it's going to be hard. But it's the same point as Jesus. It's a call to engage in the work of preparing people for the new creation. So the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully 
to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Now, what's that work? It's preparing people for eternity, getting them ready, giving them the satisfaction of eternal life. Now, and every Christian is invited to work with God on that goal. Now, evangelism must have priority because, because God's work has always included using both this creation to lead to the new creation. Uh, so Ephesians 1, uh, if you've not read Ephesians 1 recently, it's a, it's a cracking read. If you've ever wondered a question about what's life all about, you know, what's the meaning of life, read Ephesians 1, that'll tell you. Um, Ephesians 1 teaches that, that, that before God made anything, God had already chosen those whom he would redeem in Jesus Christ. You know, that, that even before he'd started the original work of this creation, he had the new creation in mind. That was always his goal, to, to redeem people through Christ. And, and even when we saw last week, when we looked at rest, we saw how both creation and salvation have the same goal. You know, but our joy as Christian people is to be fellow workers with God. That's what we're invited into. You know, that's work in the age of urgency. And that, that has implications for us as workers. Uh, let me give you seven. Uh, first, uh, evangelism must have priority for us all. You know, you as a, as a, if you're a Christian here tonight, you as a, a redeemed image bearer of God, you must engage in the work of God who you reflect. You know, God is engaged in bringing people into relationship with him through Christ. That's his, his big thing. And, and to not join him in that most important work wouldn't reflect a desire to be like him. You know, at that point, you wouldn't be imaging God properly. Now, if evangelism plays no part in your work, uh, paid or unpaid, that's irrelevant. If it plays no part in your work, you need to adapt the way you work. Now, who's the last person you spoke the gospel to? You know, was it so long ago that you need to reassess your work? Second implication, you need to prioritise evangelism, but not exclusively. Okay, it's not enough just to evangelise. It's not enough for us just to run Christianity Explored uh, without blanketing Sydney with love. Okay, valid work is ordered by both this creation and the new creation. You know, our expression of, of love for God and our neighbour can't be done only uh, by, by working in one of those two areas. You know, Jesus didn't just speak about, you know, oh, yeah, it's real shame you're in a bit of trouble there, but in heaven I'll fix all that up. No, 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 he, he actually healed people who were there present and amongst him. You know, to, to ignore evangelism, uh, to ignore bringing people into relationship with Jesus, that would misunderstand God's work. But it would also misunderstand it if you ignored the needs people have in this creation. It's not either or, it's, it's both end. You've got to love people entirely. You've got to, got to work in that way. No, no work is defined by pay. Yeah, and so the, the chores that keep your home running, they're, they're valid work and no one pays you for that. And so too the work of proclaiming Jesus. That's not restricted to just the people who might earn from it. Only they can do it. We all need to continue to work in a variety of ways. You know, it's not as if you know, missionaries only ever speak about Jesus and they never stop and clean their bathroom. We need to do all those areas. You know, evangelism is everyone's priority, but not to the exclusion or devaluing of other work. Uh, to put it another way, there is no sacred secular divide. You know, being paid 
for Christian work is not more godly than other forms of work. And yet I suspect we've fallen into that kind of divide. And, you know, we, me, church leaders, we've been guilty of perpetuating that kind of myth. You know, and it rears its head in, in lots of little ways. So um, in our connect groups, we, we pray by name for overseas mission partners, but we never seem to pray by name for someone else in the group's boss for them to be saved. You know, we mustn't buy that kind of sacred, secular divide. Uh, third implication, it's going to be prayer. Now, if we're going to engage in work properly in this age of urgency, we need to pray. Specifically, we need to pray for God to save people. Uh, so ultimately, you can't bring about new creation in other people. Only God can. And so we've got to ask him to act. You know, Kirribilli, this suburb, um, this city, this wonderful city, Sydney, is not going to be changed to honour Christ by the fact that we improve our building and run really great services. Uh, God's spirit must act. Yeah, and, and not just in the results end do we need help. Uh, we actually need help even just getting going. We need to pray at the very start. You know, Paul prays for his friend Philemon to be active in sharing his faith. Um, elsewhere in Colossians 4, Paul asks the Colossians to be praying for opportunities for the gospel to occur, you know, for doors to be opened. You know, we need to pray at every stage of this great work of proclaiming Christ. Fourthly, uh, we need to be equipped. Uh, 1 Peter 3 uh, tells us that we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have. So the assumption in 1 Peter 3 is you are living such a life that people go, wow, there's something different about you. Can I ask what, what, what drives you? What is your hope? And the expectation is we need to be ready to answer them. You know, it is an act of love to be able to tell simply and plainly what the gospel is to someone who asks, rather than being kind of so unclear ourselves that we're forcing them to do the work that we're supposed to do. We're the ones who are engaged in the work of making him known, not them. We need to love them so that we can, by sharing it and being clear about that. Now, if you don't know how to explain the gospel to someone, you need to learn. You need to learn. There are courses, there are books available. Ask me, ask Haley. I know she would like a queue of people to chat to her afterwards, learning how to do it. And once you've learned one form, don't fall into the trap of thinking the gospel is monochrome and that you know, that's the only way that you must present the gospel every time to every person. You, know, you look through the Bible and you see there's actually a, a whole variety of presentations of the gospel. You know, it's not always two ways to live. It's not always bridge to life. It's not always you know, insert your favourite gospel presentation method here. You know, get equipped uh, and keep equipping yourself to do it in different ways because different people will need to hear different parts of the same truth. Be equipped. Fifthly, make time for relationships. Now, really important, remember, God works through this creation to bring new creation. He doesn't kind of leap around and circumvent it. That is, uh, you know, he chose to leave heaven and the Lord Jesus came and became one of us that he might redeem this creation and bring about the new creation. God works through creation to new creation. God could uh, choose to reveal himself to every individual through kind of spectacular, miraculous means of a different kind of order. He could do that. He could choose to override and circumvent what he's already made to make himself clear. He could. Uh, and in some senses, there are bits in the Bible that, that make that clear. You know, the ministry of Jesus uh, and certain prophets, he does all that. He kind of steps out of the normal. Uh, but generally, he will choose to bring people into his kingdom through the very ordinary means of us Christians sharing the faith. 
because he works through creation to new creation. Now, and again, uh, he could do that uh, by you know a Christian person standing on uh, a soapbox on the street corner, you know, corner of Bly and Broughton. He could do that. He could have them you know standing up just shouting out words of scripture and and miraculously save some. But it's probably more likely he'll work through fellowship uh, and through bring people into fellowship with him through the, the kind of friends Christians already have. He works through creation to new creation. And so make time for relationships. You know, we Christians should be the forefront of building relationships at work. Now, yes, work hard. Uh, and yes, invite your friends to church. But if you've got no relationship at all, there's this kind of yawning chasm between those two activities, isn't there? It's hard to go from, oh, did you get that document that I uh, emailed you the other day to, um, so what do you think about Jesus' claims to be the Son of God? Now, that's a, that's a big gap in most conversations. You, you actually need something in between there. And so be the one who at work organises the weekly lunch that is not for business. You know, create relationships that God might be brought in through creation rather than against it. And again, you grasp that, that's going to affect the way that you view uh, church and work in this present age. So sixthly, uh, it will change your view and our view of church community. Let me say it is right uh, for us to use the Christian community here to proclaim Jesus to those around us. Uh, In Ephesians 3, you've read Ephesians 1 now, you've moved on to Ephesians 3. Uh, In Ephesians 3, it speaks of the church, uh, that gathering of kind of disparate and dysfunctional people, us, Uh, It speaks of this church being God's wisdom revealed to the world. You know, it's a proclamation of God's wisdom. This this strangeness that people of all sorts of different backgrounds and skills and uh, inabilities as much as abilities, we come together and we come together because there is one greater than us who unites us. Uh, And we are the way in which God is proclaiming his great wisdom of creating a new people. And so, yes, the church is the right place. Uh, for us to proclaim Christ. And we do need to roll up our sleeves and we do need to get involved in ministries here. But, but it is an error to centralise all our evangelism through church. Now to do that would, would actually limit the gospel's scope to just this tiny little geographic area. You know, when God has intentionally and kindly spread our networks out. So for me as a church leader, um, I have to expect that you can't be involved in everything we do at church. You know, even the good stuff that we do at church, uh, I don't expect that you will be involved in all of it. Because your lives cover uh, the spheres of where you live and work and you will be engaged in God's new work over there. And you need to be telling us who organise church how we can better equip you to, to do that godly work. You know, to take your chance to proclaim Jesus wherever you are and that brings us to the seventh implication. Uh, the marketplace is your mission field. In Acts 19, we get this super example of uh, Paul uh, taking the gospel literally into a marketplace. So he goes in this public sphere where people are already congregated, and he doesn't kind of put up advertising uh, and wait for people to come and hear of Jesus. And he doesn't kind of say, there's a sign-up sheet. If anyone wants to join a seven-week course, we will share the information about Jesus with you. No, no, he just kind of gets in there and he speaks of Jesus wherever people already were. Now, we are blessed as a community, you know, just because of the fact that we do live in different places 
And we do work in different environments. So we can take the news of Jesus into all sorts of places. Now, don't mishear me. Uh, work or at home or for pay isn't just valuable as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. It is valuable in and of itself as it builds communities of love. I've been saying that for the last few weeks. But it is valuable as a great opportunity. It does create a great opportunity. You know, it means that your gospel work isn't stuck just being your hobby. You know, gospel work isn't just something you can do on a spare time and on, on weekends. You know, the gospel is something for all moments. It's for every person and every part of your life. Now, that new work of proclaiming Jesus has to be a priority for all who know Christ. So, how does your work fit in this urgent age? Now, let, me, let me ask perhaps more pointed questions. Uh, should you leave your current job because of the gospel? You know, we know there's no sacred secular divide, but, but you know, is it that some work's more righteous than others? You know, do you have to go with you know, Adoniram Judson, head off to Burma? Uh, does, does the priority of the gospel mean you need to change your work? Perhaps you should. Perhaps you should. Now, we need to take calling seriously. Now, not necessarily should you change it to paid gospel ministry. You know, yes, I feel the weight of these words from Judson's son. When Judson wrote uh, his father's biography, uh, Judson Jr., he wrote his father's biography, explained why he wrote it. He said, Oh, that some young man might rise from the reading of these memoirs and lay down his life in all its freshness and strength upon the altar of God so that he might become like Paul of old, a chosen vessel of Christ to bear his name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. You know, there, there is a real call out there. We do need people to speak of Jesus in places that he's not known. You know, we need people to speak of Jesus wherever people are. But there is a mistaken thinking in uh, at least one conference I know of that advertises saying they challenge people to give up their lives to do paid vocational ministry. You know, it, it is made uh, calling uh, something more than the New Testament's use. Uh, so when the New Testament talks about calling, uh, it doesn't call to a particular job. It's a calling to be holy. It's a calling to enter God's kingdom. And, and once we've answered that call, once we're in the kingdom, how do we make work choices? Let me say you make it as one who has to give an account. As one who gives an account. So uh, again, work is sharing God's good gifts in order to build communities of love. And one day you will stand before the risen Lord Jesus and you will have to account for the use of the gifts he entrusted to you. You, know, you will answer before the living God according to how well you use them to build those communities of love, building up people to love God and love others. That's what we read so confrontingly in Luke 19. You know, God has, has given us things corporately and individually for a purpose, you know, to prepare people for the world to come as well as love them here and now. And so your passions... You know, those, those inclinations that God has put on your heart, the stuff you love, you know, your interests, your circumstances, your citizenship, you know, your skills and your friendships and your relationships and, and, and your education and your culture and your training, all those things you're going to have to stand up and God will ask for an accounting of those. How did you use your culture in light of my kingdom? How did you use those educational advantages you had, your citizenship? How did you use it to do my work? 
You know, so maybe you do need to change. You know, maybe you need to leave work to better care for elderly or sick family members. Maybe you need to take a promotion because you can change the work culture better and better promote loving relationships from being in a higher position. You know, maybe you need to change jobs so you can stay in this area and keep in the networks of relationships that you're already in. Maybe you actually need to change jobs because you can get into somewhere no one else can by your, the nature of your work. You know, maybe you need to leave that career path altogether and, and retrain. You will be called to account for how you use the gifts God entrusted to you. You know, for some here, maybe tonight, it means you know, following Judson. For most of us, it's probably not going to be the stuff of inspirational biographies. Uh, you know, I, personally, I don't think I could have stayed reading water meters and felt that I'd given a good account for the gifts God placed before me. Uh, my father was an actuary. Uh, he decided to leave that with a young family and go back and retrain to become a doctor. Uh, at that stage of life, uh, he felt it was a better way to serve and love other people. Uh, looking back, um, he doesn't really think it matters now. <laughs> but he had to make the decision on what he thought was the best way to build communities of love with his particular gifts. Now, he wouldn't use my words and my language to categorise it that way. In light of this reality, in light of these urgent times, in light of the work that God is on about, you might need to change your work. I think um, our Christian climate, our church climate, unhealthily, favours and honours a call to leave secular work and do paid Christian work. I think it's wrong and unhealthy. You know, for some that's valid work, but not all. But there's something else that's kind of going on in the back of our minds. There's this unhealthy general call in the secular climate. The, the kind of voices you're going to hear in the workplace to leave work for illegitimate goals. You know, so at, at, at work you will be encouraged to, you know, yeah, change your job so you can get a better name for yourself. Yeah, take that promotion because you'll find more satisfaction. Yeah, no, no, retrain completely because you'll make more money. They are all reasons that actually undermine the true goal of work. Now, wouldn't it be terrible if you as a Christian person made work decisions no differently from those who are perishing? Now, we live in an age of urgency. We must involve ourselves in God's great new work of proclaiming Christ. For now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and Father, we are so thankful for the gospel uh, and in it is life and salvation. We thank you uh, for your great first creation uh, and we thank you that through it you will bring you about a greater creation. We thank you for the work of Christ who became one of us that he might redeem a people of his own eager to do what is good. Uh, and Father, we ask uh, that we would engage deeply in this age of urgency, give us opportunities to proclaim Christ Help us to see the chances that are around us and help us to seize them. And Father, we pray that each one of us, so gifted as we are, would make a good account of the gifts you've entrusted to us. Father, we ask this all for the honour of your Son's name. Amen.